Well, it sure is good to see each of you out again tonight. So we greet you in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord. And it's, uh, it's exciting to be here. I've, I've just uh, learned to appreciate you as a congregation. And you're very patient. And I appreciate that very much. So tonight we're going to have children's meeting. So if the children would like to come up front at this time, and then we're going to fill this side up. And if we need to, we can do that side yet too. So come on up, children. Good evening, boys and girls. That's it? Can you say good evening as well? Let's say good evening, boys and girls. That's better. Let's get the parents to help out too. Good evening, boys and girls. Good evening. Thank you. So, tonight we want to look at a few Bible verses, and then I'm going to give an illustration. It says, now listen carefully. I'm going to try to make it so that you can understand it. Let nothing be done through strife. Do you know what strife is? What is strife? Arguing? Anger when you're angry. That's right. Very good. Okay? So don't let anything be done through strife or vain glory. But in loneliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. How many of us sometimes we don't we look at other people and we look down on them, right? Instead of lifting them up. So it says let uh, each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on things of others. Then it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So the same mind that was in Jesus, let that mind be in us. So we have a, an object lesson tonight that I would like to share with you. And I would like about seven volunteers. Oh yeah, I got one hand over there. Yep, two hands. Okay, three. We need some girls too. If you're not lifting your hands up, I'll take you. Yeah. So if you want to stand up here, you can come up here. I need uh, one, two, three, three boys, maybe four boys. Come on up. Stand about here. Okay, and I need uh, three girls. You, you, and you. I have no idea. I hope you're not all sisters. That <laughs> happened to me one time. I picked three people and they were all, they were brothers and sisters. Worked out well. Alright. Your name is Ty. Remember that? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And your name is Bai. Alright. And your name is Anna. Okay? And your name is Aggie. And your name is Parrot. Okay? And your name is uh, Wait. And I'll wait to let you know what your name is. I'll just wait a little bit. Okay. So... Uh, your name is Ty. Where's Ty? Come on over here. 
you're—it's—it's uh, it's called a tyrant. Do you know what a tyrant is? It's called a dictator. So you are in a tater family, okay? <laughs> so you're called a tyrant, the dictator, okay? So you stand over there with the with the, with the potato, all right? And then bye, come on over here, all right? Um, we'll give you this one here. You are a bystander called a spectator. All right? You go over and stand over next to your friend there. Anna. Where's Anna? You're Anna? All right. We'll give you Anna, the commentator. Okay? And now Aggie. You're Aggie? Okay. You are the agitator. Okay? Wait. Where's Wait. You're over there, right? So wait, the hesitator. Okay? Alright, and now the parrot. Okay, oh, okay, yeah. that one then. Parrot, the imitator. And then, uh, <laughs> you're the sweet tater. Alright. So, here we have a family of seven taters. The dictator, Ty, the tyrant, the dictator, by the bystander, spectator, Anna, which is the analyst, the commentator, Aggie, the agitator, and Wait, the hesitator, Herod, the imitator, and then sweet tater. <laughs> Alright. The tyrant, he is an individual that always, he needs to be the boss. Okay? When you say something, other people are supposed to say yes sir or yes ma'am and that is just the way it is. So that's a dictator. And uh, they have a problem sometimes. Then there's the bystander, they just speculate. They, they're spectators. They kind of sit back. Some people never, they're not, they're not very motivated to get involved in too many things. They don't participate. They just are spectators. Sometimes they're a bit critical. So that's the spectator. Then it's the analyst. She uh, you know, doesn't do anything very much to help out. She uh, is, has a very good gift of finding fault and uh, the way other things do things. And so you just always oh, kind of nitpicky. You kind of pick things out. And uh, then it's the agitator. Always causing a problem. And getting people on to agree with them, they're literally called a troublemaker. Okay? That's called an agitator. Just kind of. And then it's the weight. The hesitator. People who say they will help, but not around. But somewhere, you're just kind of somewhere else. And uh, you kind of promise sometimes you'll be there, but you very seldom show up. You just kind of wait till others go ahead and do it. That's called a hesitator. And then uh, it's called the imitator, the parrot. Yeah, she just. Yes. You know what I, mean? I don't know your character, not so bad I don't. 
Uh, some people can put, uh, these people can put up a pretty good front, right? They kind of hide behind their words, yeah. And uh, so they're, they're imitators. And then there's the sweet tater. <laughs> Just kind of a nice person to be around. Okay? Uh, kind of lovable like a fella. And uh, always prepared to stop and do whatever you're doing and helping other people out. Just kind of like a, a sweet guy. Yeah, I didn't know it was a girl or a guy, but uh, it's kind of nice. I'm glad I can call you a sweet tater. <laughs> fun. Yeah. And you know, in a group of people, there's always the tater family. You know, it doesn't matter if it's in uh, church life, in school, wherever. Um, there's always various different gifts. So, Ty, come on over here for a minute. I got some advice for you. Instead of being a dictator, a tyrant, you know, yield your way to God. And then he will change you from a dictator to one that is submissively, willfully following God. So Ty, don't be a tyrant, but yield your will and way to God. Okay? You can go and sit down. Alright. Now, bye. Where's bye? There you are. Okay. So, spectator, don't uh, be content to stand by and watch God at work. But listen, join in and work with God in His work instead of just being a spectator. There you go. You can go sit down. Alright, so there's two. Now, Anna, commentator. Uh, make co comments of people that will edify them. Lift them up and encourage them instead of tearing them down. Okay? Thank you. You can go sit down. And then Aggie. So instead of being an agitator, stir up the good gifts. Encourage others to be peacemakers and love them and encourage them that way. Alright? You can go sit down. And then wait. Where's wait? There you are. Okay. So, hesitator, boldly step out in faith and be encouraged and encourage others as you step out in faith. Very good. Thank you. All right. And parrot. There you are. All right. The imitator to uh, imitate Christ and the way he does things and people will know you by your fruits. Thank you. You may sit down. And then the sweet tater. Like sugar. Let your fruits be made known to others. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Lord bless you. Thank you. You may be seated. So as you know, we all have different characters. We're all made up of different, uh, different ways and different characters. But I believe God can use every character that you have and uh, change it and transform it into the way He wants you to be. So, wherever you start, finish with God and He will help you. So take uh, uh, teamwork. So the Tater family, they can always work together as a team. And this is a quote from Helen Keller. And it said, teamwork makes the dream work.
Then it also says teamwork divides the tasks and multiplies the success. And then one more quote. Alone we can do so little, but together we can do so much. So the Tater family can all work together and bring glory to God as we serve Him. Alright, let's pray. Eternal Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We are thankful for this opportunity. Thank you, God, for blessing us. Bless each one of these children. Guide them in their lives. Touch their lives. And protect them. And use them, dear Lord, in the way that you see fit. We commit them to you. And bless the parents as well. That shepherd them and guide them. And encourage them. And I just want to commit each to you. Through Christ we pray. Amen. All right, you can go back to your parents. All right. You would take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, a parable in Matthew. Matthew 13. Matthew 13, I find it interesting. If you look at, uh, the brother already shared about the parable of the sower. And so that is one parable. Then the next parable is the parable of wheat and tares. Then uh, this is in uh, chapter 13. And then there's the parable of the mustard seed. The next one is the parable of the leaven. And then the parable is explained and such like, and then it, it concludes there, the latter part, with three parables of the uh, buried treasure, and then the pearl of great price, and then the large net. What I find interesting in this parable is it is structured with seven different parables in this here little uh, cluster of parables. And uh, I find it amazing, the first four parables are primarily geared towards uh, here upon this world and uh, then the last three are more geared towards uh, uh, glory and heaven and such like and I just really appreciate how it is laid out here in the word so tonight we want to take a look at verse 45 and 46 for the uh, for the text verse 45 Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking godly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So there we have, uh, it starts in and saying again. So that actually refers to back to uh, the previous um Parables that he was uh, talking about and, and the illustrations that he used. It's, I find it interesting, the first four parables, he was talking to the multitude. And where I get that from is in verse 1, he said in verse 1 of chapter 13, he says, the same day when Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside. So there you can see great multitude were gathered together and then he shared these uh, various parables. Then he goes and shares the four. And then he goes and says in verse 36, 
after he shared the first four, Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. So the first four, he went out to the multitude and now he has something interesting to say in, uh, in uh, verse 36. Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came unto him saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. So then he goes on and he explains the tares of the field. And then he goes on and gives three more parables. There's something about these parables that are interesting and unique. Very personal. Because he went on and he brought the disciples together and he shared them. So I believe that most of you in your Bibles, if there's a title, it's led to the peril or the pearl of great price. Is that what this parable is about? I want for us to take note. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man. And then he goes, say, seeking goodly pearls. So this parable is about the merchant man. So who is the merchant man? The merchant man here is the same man who sowed the good seed who is the son of man. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In Luke 19.10 He left the glories of heaven and he came to this world. He took upon him the form of a servant. That is who the merchant man is. He said, this merchant man, Jesus Christ, did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He, he wants to save people. And so when we think of this uh, merchant man, it is very important that we see that that is Jesus Christ. And if the merchant man is Jesus Christ, who is it referring to when it talks about the good, goodly pearls? I want to suggest to you tonight that the good pearls are individual people that he is seeking. Because look at what it says in verse 46. The man seeking goodly pearls, plural, and then who when he found one pearl of great price is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. It is a picture of the church, the goodly pearl. It is goodly. And I want for you to understand as we go to First uh, Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. It talks about goodly pearl, or not goodly, uh, not pearl, sorry, but it talks about uh, goodly. Verse 12. First Peter 2, verse 12. 
And there it is talking about the church of Jesus Christ. It says uh, in verse 9, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not one, were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, uh, uh, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. And then it says, having your conversation honest. And that is the same word as goodly back there in that parable among the Gentiles. So having your conversation honest or goodly amongst the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by our good or goodly works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation then it goes on to say submit yourself uh, to every ordinance of men of the Lord's for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or governors and such like so I want want for us to uh, understand that this is Jesus Christ seeking out goodly pearls and then he, what does he say it says that he sold all that he had and bought it see if you're a reader of commentaries you will likely see most of the commentaries would suggest that the merchantman is people seeking Christ and selling all that they had to, to buy it and th- this is where I stumble with that with that idea Friends, you and I cannot buy our salvation. But Jesus Christ purchased the church. And I'm going to go through a number of scriptures here. Acts 20, verse 28. And if you could follow with me. I did not tab my Bible so that I can take time to turn to the scriptures as you do. Acts 20. Verse 28. It says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers and feed, feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven and he purchased the church with his own blood. Now go over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14. Ephesians 1 verse 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. That purchased possession. Jesus Christ has purchased us. We are bought with a price in First Corinthians. First Corinthians six, verse twenty. Let's read that one together, everybody together. First Corinthians one, sorry, First Corinthians six, verse twenty. Let's read it together. 
For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now turn to uh, to Romans 3. Romans 3. Verse 24. Okay, let's read that one together as well. Verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption meaning purchasing it back. First Peter 1, 18. First Peter 1. Verse 18. For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold for your, for your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. And so there it said, then again it talks about that redemption. And then in Revelation verse five, or chapter five verse nine it says, Christ has redeemed us to God by His blood. It is clear, friends, tonight, and we have to be extremely clear that we cannot purchase our salvation, but Jesus Christ purchased us by His blood. Shedding His innocent blood. And we were ones. We are the ones that are bought. And it shows that Christ provided salvation for us. The sinner cannot work to buy his salvation. It is the gift of God. Paid by the suffering and dying on the cross. And you and I receive it by faith. So we want to be clear on that. So... Back to verse 46 in Matthew. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, that one pearl, the church. The pearl is a product of a living creature. So likewise the church. The church was born out of Jesus Christ. The scripture uses the pearl to illustrate the living organism of the church. Where does a pearl come from? Where is a pearl born from? A pearl is a little white for, uh, I found out already that ladies know a little bit more about pearls than what men do. But pearls are little white round jewels or gems. Ladies, some of the ladies wear necklaces of beads of pearls. So little white, very, very smooth most of them, a uh, lot of them, I should say, are perfectly round. Where does a pearl come from? Way down in the mug, in the mire, in the bed of the Red Sea or the Persian Gulf 
or the Indian Ocean, way down in the bottom of those bodies of water, are creatures called oysters. And these oysters, they live in the bottom of these bodies of water. And somewhere along the line, whether it's a little sliver of straw or a little chip of sand or glass, it penetrates in through that oyster. Whether it is through the side, whether it's in through the, the, uh, the mouth, I don't know how that all works, but it penetrates into that oyster. And uh, so just envision inside this oyster there's a little grain of sand. And now this oyster puts out a slimy secretion around this here little uh, grain of sand. And it just puts layers and layers of layers of what they call uh, knacker. And it puts that around that sand. And it puts layers and layers and layers of this... Uh, slimy secretions around it and it creates a perfectly round little thing called a pearl so the pearl is made out of the suffering of the oyster that irritant inside that oyster and it it just layers it and from there those, that oyster dies, it is harvested, and then out of the inside of that oyster there is a beautiful little pearl. So, when you think of these oysters having harvested, they're normally generally harvested around April and May, yeah, March, April, May. And what I found very interesting is Numerous of these water bodies have sharks in them. And so those, those oysters have to be harvested off the bottom of the ocean or off the bottom of that water, uh, water body, or body of water. And can you imagine, I don't know, back in the time of Jesus when he made the, when he gave this parable, I don't know if they had oxygen tanks or how they got down there to harvest them. I have, I have no idea. But they put their life on the line to go down and uh, harvest these oysters to get these pearls. So that is another reason why it is a pearl of great price. So this, this pearl is made through suffering. What about our Savior? This pearl that it's talking about here is the church. And it was birthed through the suffering of Jesus Christ and shedding his blood. What makes, uh, what makes it so beautiful? The suffering of another. The suffering of this oyster makes this pearl so beautiful. The suffering of Christ makes the child of God a beautiful thing. Not the suffering of ourselves, but the suffering of Jesus Christ and the shedding of his blood makes us beautiful. We are clothed in His righteousness. And we also need to lay down our lives and submit our will and way to the Lordship of Jesus Christ 
and we can become one of his. Historically, there's one historian that wrote this, that this pearl, already back in Caesar's time, was sold to Caesar for a quarter of a million dollars for one pearl. Tremendous value. It's a pearl of great price. Jesus Christ laid down his life for the church. For you and I as born again believers. Another place in the Bible that I want for us to turn to now that also talks about pearls. And that is back a few chapters in Matthew 7. Matthew 7. It says in verse 6. It says, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they tremble them under their feet and turn again and rend you. So there, as you can see, friends, it says we are not to throw what is holy to the dogs or this costly pearl before swine. Why is that in there? When you think of the great cost of this here pearl, how it was birthed and born, and now it it says here that we're not supposed to throw that before swine. Because the swine and dogs, the reason I believe it is saying here, well, let, let let me start here. In here it says, it puts two things beside each other, two parallels. What is holy, we're not supposed to give to the dogs, and what is costly or this pearl to the swine. Why not? Why is uh, is this written in this way? I believe, my friends, dogs and swine cannot discern what is what its value is and what is spiritual dogs and swine have no capacity at all to discern spirituality or what is of any value and let me give you this illustration so here we have a $250,000 pearl and if i would accumulate all the pearls together and make up of a pail of pearls. It would be worth millions of dollars. And I remember as a little schoolboy, my chores was occasionally to go to the corn crib, grab some corn cobs, and take those pails out, and then feed it to the swine. And you know, they all came and they were just so happy to eat that corn and they chomped that down. It was quite a sight. I can tell you, friends, if I would go there with a pail of pearls and I would start feeding the swine with pearls, they would go into that, there were those pearls that go, they'd spit it back out and they would be pursuing me for the corn. 
And yes, corn is only worth 13 cents a cob, approximately. Figure it out. Those hogs like the 13 cents corn much better than the millions of dollars of pearl. They have no discerning capacity to discern value at all. And neither does the dog discern what is holy or spiritual. And so therefore, we are not to throw our pearls before swine. They, because they do not understand that. And when I think of the dogs and the swine are compared to unbelievers, non-Christian people, they neither can discern what is holy and they put no value on the church. They mock the church. They criticize the church. They, they, they chew around on it and spit it back out and they still pursue that 13 cents corn cob instead of the million dollar pearl. If we, if we, if the, if they would only realize the value of this great pearl, the church, my friends, I find it so sad when I see people having such a low value of this great pearl. And when I think of the 13 cents corn cob, I think of people that are selling their soul for a bowl of stew or soup. They're selling their soul for something cheap when they should be investing in the church of Jesus Christ. My friends... Do not throw your your pearls before swine because this great pearl was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ. The spiritual thing. It is spiritual. It is holy. It has great value. In Hebrews 12 verse 16 it says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for a morsel of meat sold his birthright. Friends, what are we pursuing tonight? Are we pursuing the 13 cents corn cob? Or are we investing in the pearl of great price? Are we selling out? Are we putting value into this, the pearl of great price? That Jesus Christ has died for. The merchant man, he is seeking you and I tonight. He is seeking those that are lost. That's what he came to save. And he wants us to, uh, to yield our lives to him. And he will uh, purchase us and cleanse us with his blood. The other unique thing about this pearl, it conveys unity. Pearl is the only gem that cannot be broken and still have value. If a pearl is broken, it is literally destroyed. You can take a diamond and you can cut it in half and you have two diamonds. You can take gold and you can break it in multiple pieces and you still have gold. 
But if you take a pearl and break it, it is worth nothing. The pearl is the only gem that you can break and it is worth nothing. The other gems, you just have more of it. And that is unity. This pearl, the church of Jesus Christ, if it is broken, it is worth nothing. It says in Matthew twelve twenty five, when Jesus said these words, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. A divided church is powerless. It is worth nothing. But a church in unity is a pearl of great price. My friends, this pearl of great price, Jesus Christ gave his life for and bought it. Let's not lose sight of it. The other interesting thing was, is the pearl, sorry, the oyster, the Jews were not, were not allowed to eat oysters. If you go back into, I think it's Leviticus chapter 11, approximately verse 10, it says that if they had no scale or fins, they were not allowed to eat it. So the Jews rejected the very one that brought life to this pearl. And so likewise, the Jews were not allowed to eat the oysters. So numerous parallels there. And this pearl also has a destiny. In Galatians 3, 4, it says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. The church someday will be raised to a position of honor and beauty and glory. Someday, he will present that pearl to the one that loved us and gave himself for us. One pearl. There's only two places in the Bible where those two words are together. One pearl. And that is here in verse 46. And this death, and then in Revelation chapter 21. If you want to take your Bibles there, this pearl also has a destiny. And I find this illustration in here so interesting. Revelation 21, verse 21. There we find that one other statement again, only twice in the Bible. It says, 12 gates were 12 pearls. Then it says, every gate was of one pearl. And the streets of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. That one pearl, friends, when I think of that gate, can you imagine a gate into the city? One pearl. A wonderful picture of the church of Jesus Christ unified. Many little pearls making one pearl. And it says here that it was the gate 
that uh, that typifies the church. Men and women, we have to understand that we can only come into the glories of heaven through being his bride, the church. And this gate was made supernaturally with many, many little pearls coming together to make one. And every gate was one pearl. Is that possible? Only through the amazing supernatural transformation of Jesus Christ can many pearls be made into one. And that is the body of Christ. That is called the bride of Christ. It is called his bride, the church. One pearl. Are we of that one pearl today? United. Serving God together. And do we grasp the magnitude and the cost of that great pearl? And that is Jesus Christ shedding his innocent blood for the remission of our sins. And I'll read the two verses again in closing. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchantman seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You and I, as born-again Christians, are purchased by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we are made into one through the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And it is in that unity and in that love that we can, with confidence and anticipation, look unto that day when he will come again and take us home to be with him.